Today we are starting our brand new series. We're going to be focusing on the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. This, we're going to be going chapter by chapter. Do you know how many chapters are in the book of Hebrews? There's 13 chapters. So which means we're going to be going for 13. Just make sure. Is there 13 chapters in Hebrews? Pretty sure I counted that. Let's have a look. Here we go. Just to make sure. Make sure it's still in there so people aren't. The Bible says, be like the Bereans who search the scripture daily to see what was taught is true. So we're going to be like the Bereans. Here we go. And there is 13 chapters. Why did I doubt myself? Here we go. 13 chapters, which means we're going to be going 13 weeks on this. This is going to be an epic series. If, if anybody, if you know me, you know I love the Bible. I love studying the Bible, and I love doing books on the Bible as series. And, and I thought, well, what better way to do a whole book, chapter by chapter. And today, we're going to start with chapter 1. That's right. If you're looking for a title for today's message, it is chapter 1. Okay, there we go. Oh, that's how creative I got. This is, this is how creative I got this week, chapter 1. And so the, book, the, book, the letter written to the, to the Hebrews was written around 60 AD. The author is unknown. No one knows who wrote this book. There are a lot of people who, who think, well, possibly... Possible candidate could be the Apostle Paul, because you know, the, uh, because this, whoever wrote this book um, had a, had uh, academic training, so maybe it was Apostle Paul, or, or, or another candidate is Priscilla, Priscilla who was trained by the Apostle Paul. Maybe she wrote this book. She's also a possible candidate for the writing of the Book of Hebrews. Then another candidate is Apollos, Apollos who was trained by Priscilla in the Book of Acts. He's another. He's another candidate for writing this book. But whatever it is, we do not know. And the Holy Spirit thought, well, really, whoever wrote it wasn't really important. What really matters is what's in this letter, the letter written to the Hebrews. This letter was written to believers, primarily to the audience were, were Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians. And it was written there to encourage them to keep their faith, not to go back to the old ways. And this is the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be focusing on this for the next 13 weeks so, and then after that, we're going to do the book of Psalms, 150 chapters. No, just kidding. You know, we're just going to go to the book of Hebrews. And, um, and so here we go. Here we go. You know, um, I remember when Portal was pregnant with our, our youngest son, our last child, child number seven, right? I decided that I'm going to give our son, our youngest son, he's going to have all of my names. No one else is going to put their names on him. And if you're part of a Pacific Island family, you know how difficult that is to get everyone's name off him, right? Don't put your name on my child, you know? So I'm going to put it, so he is going to have all my names. And so just before he was born, I kind of Googled Anthony Cuthers, because, you know, Pastor Anthony, actually my name is Anthony, that's my, I Googled Anthony Cuthers, and shock horror, there was another Anthony Cuthers in the world. He also happened to be a Cook Islander living in Wellington. Uh, but I'm older, so therefore I'm the first, Anthony Covers. And I was thinking to myself, I, I don't want to name my son a name that there's another other than me out there. So I reordered his name. I changed it. I reordered his name is now Tepare Anthony Covers, because my name is Anthony Tepare Covers, and my son's name is Tepare Anthony Covers. So when I named him when he was born, my family came and goes, Oh, that's a, you called him Tepare? Oh, that's amazing. You named him after our grandfather. And I said, I didn't name him after our grandfather. I named him after me. It just so happens that my grandfather has the same name. 
Because <laughs> I was also named after my grandfather, Te Pare, Anthony Te Pare. Te Pare is my Cook Island name. And so Te Pare has this name. And so I just put it on there. In fact, I wanted to um, show you a picture of my, me and my son when he was six years old. Here he is. There, isn't, he, isn't he cute? I love, you see the caption? I, I already knew I was awesome, but having a mini-me just keeps reminding me over and over again. Right? This is me. Obviously, this is a long time ago because I've got hair in that photo. Uh, <laughs> and today, my son, he's 15 years old now. He was six back in that photo. But here's the thing. You know, when, when we put our names on people, or maybe you're carrying somebody's name, but sometimes, do you ever feel like that you, that you, you have to live up to someone else's expectations? Right? Or, or you ever feel like you're always being compared to someone else? You're compared, being compared to your, to your siblings, or you're being compared to your father, or your mother, or, your, you, you, or, or maybe you, you're at, at work, you've always been compared to another work colleague. You ever feel, have you ever felt that before? You've just been compared, and, and, and it's, it can be suffocating to, to express who you are, to come out of that shadow, to continue to walk in your own shoes, and you feel like you have to live up to someone else. It can be really, really challenging. So often it feels like we're on this quest, doesn't it? We feel like we're, we're on this quest, like, will someone love me? Will someone accept me? Will someone give me purpose? And we, we think we can find all those things in our own efforts, right? We think that, that if we're good enough, someone will love us. We think if we're good enough, that someone will validate us. Someone will give us the value. But here's the beauty. That God loves you so much that He wants to be with us. He wants to be with you and you with Him. That this God, He is the one that has come to our rescue. We've sung that song. It's amazing. But this is, this is the God who loves you. He wants to be with you. He has come to our rescue. And that is what the book of Hebrews is all about. About a God who loves you. Who wants to dwell with you. And who comes to our rescue. So if you've, got, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to be starting with verse 1. Here we go. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also he made the universe. So what's really interesting when you hear this inheritance language, this inheritance language is not speaking of that God is retiring. Oh, well, you know what? I'm retiring. I'm going to go play golf somewhere. Hey, Jesus, you now the heir. You can now take over. This, that's not what this inheritance language is about. It's about co-ruling. It's about co-sharing. It's, a, it's about, it's about um, being co-equals. This is what this is about. So who is the son who is co-equal with God? Who is the son? And in fact, the next verse we're about to read is one of the most explosive verses in the New Testament. The most explosive. In fact, in the next verse we're about to to read, it's going to give us five characteristics of the Son. Are you ready for this really explosive verse? Verse 3. And we're going to be camping on this verse. Verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is a powerful statement. The reason why this this verse 3 is so powerful is because of what it claims. Do you know what it's claiming here? 
What it claims, what this verse claims is that, that Jesus is God in human form. That's what this verse is claiming, that Jesus is God in human form. For, for a lot of people, we, we, we want to look for that scripture where scripture says that Jesus is God in human form. We, we, that's what we want to see. We want to see those words. But this is what these words are saying in a very Jewish way. If you were Jewish and you're reading this, this is what you're reading, that Jesus, Jesus is God in human form. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's encouraging these, um, these Jewish Christians, hey, don't give up on your faith. Don't go back to the old ways because of who Jesus is and who he is. And, and, and I love it. And look, we're going to break this down. Jesus is, is not a created being. For he is God. He's not lesser than. For he is God. He deserves the status because he is eternal. He is the exact imprint. He is the essence of God himself. And this is what this verse 3 says. So let's, let's break this down. Verse 1. The radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. Right off the bat, the writer wants us to know that Jesus is, that Jesus is God in human form. Just by this statement alone. If I was to light a candle, if I was to light a candle, imagine I got a candle and I light this candle, right? Now, if this was a dark room, what would you see? You'll see the, the candle, there'll be light radiating from this candle. So the light that radiates from the candle, where does the light actually begin? Does the light begin out there or does it begin from within? This is what it's talking about. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Right? That, that, that the light is of the same essence of the, as the flame. The flame, is that, uh, and this is what, that Jesus is the same essence of the glory of God. And this is what, this, what the radiance of God is talking about. The, the sun that we feel, because, oh my gosh, I got burnt by the sun. But we're not actually in the sun, because we're in the sun, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be destroyed. But we feel the radiance of the sun. The radiance comes, it's the same, it's the same substance that, that, that we have. And this is what it's talking about, Jesus. That Jesus is the radiance, he is the radiance of the glory of God, Right? Just as the, the, the light of a candle is of the same nature as the flame. For it is impossible that the glory should be without radiance, as it is impossible for the flame to be without light. Because you couldn't have flame without light. They're of the same essence. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And, number t- and the second point here is this. Jesus is the exact representation of his being or his, na- or his nature. Jesus is the exact representation of his being or his nature. The Greek word for representation is the Greek word character. All right? What does character mean? Character means what it means in English. It's the same kind of, it actually, and this is where we get our English word, it's actually from this Greek word, character. And basically, basically, in ancient Greek, this term was widely used to mean an accurate impression left by a stamp on a coin. Right? So what would happen is that, is that an emperor would employ an engraver who would, who would carve the royal, a royal portrait of the emperor on a, on a stamp or die made of, of, of hard metal. And, he'll, he'll, he, and, and this, will, this became the character of the exact, and this will be the character. And so as they begin to stamp the coins, all of a sudden this is the exact imprint. So the coin becomes the exact imprint from the die, and this is what it's talk- This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say: that Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. 
that the, that, the, that, uh, that the Father came and he imprinted himself in physical form and human form and the fullness of Jesus. That Jesus is the imprint of these exact, is the exact impression of the Father. That when we look at Jesus, we see the Father. That when we look at Jesus, he is God in physical manifestation. He is Yahweh in physical form. He is that Yahweh figure in Daniel 7 that came riding on a cloud. He is God in human form. And this is why this verse is so provocative. Because the statement of what it claims and who it claims Jesus to be. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact representation of his being or his nature. That Jesus is the sustainer of all things by his, by his, his own, not God's, right? He's the sustainer of all things by his own powerful word. His own powerful word, right? Not God's powerful, his own. So what does that mean? This is an echo of the creative word in Genesis chapter 1 when God began to create in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus didn't inherit this power. He always had it. He always had it. He was there when, when everything was poured into creation. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's through Jesus everything came. And in this verse, Jesus holds all creation together. Jesus is the glue that holds everything together. He didn't inherit this power. He always had it. He was there from the beginning. He created. Jesus isn't a creative being. He is the creator. This is what this verse is saying. He is the, the creator. Jesus, the sustainable things by his own, not God's, but his own powerful word. For he is God in human form. And it goes on. Jesus is the one who provided purification for sins. And I love this because once a year, once a year, the high priest would go into the temple. He would go into the temple, right, on the Day of Atonement. And, and, he, would, and he would get uh, the blood of, of a goat, right? There was two goats. One that, that they will pray, lay their hands on, and then they'll send them back into, they'll send the one with all the sins of the people into the wilderness. Send them back into the wilderness where the wilderness represents chaos. So we'll send this go back to chaos where it belongs. Sin doesn't belong where God is. It belongs with chaos. So it sends it off into the wilderness. So the sin goes. It leaves. The other goat, and that's where we get this term, the scapegoat, right? The scapegoat. That's where it comes from. It comes right out of the Bible. The other goat that, um, it's, it will be sacrificed, and with its blood, the high priest will take it in into the temple and, and, and will smear it on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies and, and so that the people of God will once again be able to come back into his presence. Now, this only lasted a year. So every year, the high priest had to come in and come into his temple and do this year after year. But I love this because what, what did the temple represent? The temple represented the Garden of Eden, right? What was the, what was the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden was the place where heaven and earth overlapped. Where God's space and man's space became one. That was the Garden of Eden. So the temple represented this. And the Holy of Holies was the place where, where, where God's space and man's space overlapped. And the, and the high priest would go into this place. So when Jesus, he is the one who purifies it from all of us, it means that Jesus is the one, he is our high priest, who goes into the temple. And he goes in once and for all. He doesn't have to keep dying year after year. That he goes in once and for all. That he, he, carry, he takes on the sin. He takes on the, the, the role of the two goats. Takes on the sin on, and he dies for our sin and, be, and he sets us 
free. Jesus purifies us so that we may be in God's presence. Because God wants to be with us. Right from the beginning, right since, since the beginning of creation, God's desire was for him to be with you and you with him. And so through Jesus brings us into the presence of God that we can boldly come before the throne of God, which is why we can always call him Abba Father, call him Daddy. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Because in God's presence is joy. In God's presence is love. In God's presence is mercy. In God's presence is what we were created to experience. And then it goes on, this, the, verse 3 goes on, it doesn't, doesn't just end there, it goes on, it says that Jesus is the occupant of the throne at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now sitting down at the right hand is a Hebraic expression meaning equal honor. This is an expression, to mean, meaning when Jesus sits at the right hand, it means that Jesus has equal honor. He is the king. He's been enthroned as king. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man. Fully man to represent us. And fully God to deliver us. I love that. And that's just verse 3. Right? We haven't even moved on to the rest of it. This is just verse 3. Verse 3 is powerful. The statement, the claim that the writer of Hebrews is making Right off the bat. And when we begin to read the rest of, of, of Hebrews chapter 1, what do we discover? Well, the, well, the, well, the writer of Hebrews wants you to, to don't get confused. There are a lot of sons of gods out there, but there is, only, well, there is only one son of God, the son of God. Son of God is a title, right? Son of God means, when you say something is a son of God, it means you are of the same type. The son of God. Like the sons of the city. We are sons of the city. We are the, or, or you may have heard of this TV show called The Sons of Anarchy? Anarchy? Anarchy. 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 Anyway. Right? Anarchy. There you go. Keep my keys in the right place. That's why I always lose them. Okay. Right? The sons of anarchy. What, what does it mean? Oh, the father's name was anarchy? No, that means they're sons of. They're all that type. The sons of daughters of the city, daughters of sons of, and this is what this term means, sons of. They're all the same stuff. That Jesus is the Son of God. He is of God, for he is God. And this is what this title means. The Son of God. And so the writer says, Don't get confused with these other sons of gods, these other Elohims, for he is the Son of God. And that's what he begins to, to, to um, as you begin to read um, the verses. Verse 4. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. And this, when did that happen? This happened on his enthronement when he was crucified on the cross. And he, he, wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't lifted up onto a throne, but up onto a cross. This, when, Je, when Jesus' inauguration began, it, it, it began as his resurrection. right? Uh, at his crucifixion and through his resurrection he sits at the right hand of God. You are my son. Today I become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. 
And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Right? Here's the thing. We get kind of hung up on this word firstborn or, or begotten. It depends what translation you have. Right? This, this term firstborn refers to a special status. That's what it refers to. It doesn't refer to chronological order. All right? First of all, oh, that means he must have been created. Oh, he must have been born. Now, it doesn't mean that. Otherwise, it doesn't go with what verse 3 is talking about. It talks about, it talks about a special status, not chronological order. Think of Exodus chapter 4, 22. God calls Israel his firstborn sons. Right? That's what God calls Israel, his firstborn sons. Now, if this was chronological order then you would have to say, hey, God, I think you've got it wrong because Israel is not your firstborn son. That would be Adam. Adam would be your firstborn son. But this is not what they mean by this term. Firstborn refers to a specific status. That's what we need to have fixed in our heads when we ever hear these words mentioned of Jesus being the firstborn. He, it's a special status. So what kind of special status? It's the kind where God says to the angels, worship him. Worship Him. And if, you're, if you know your Bibles, the Bible is very clear that we worship God alone because Jesus is God in human form. And He says to the angels, worship Him. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to, don't get confused. Jesus is the Son. He's not these other sons of God's, as there are other sons of God's, other Elohims out there. But Jesus is the Son of God, the exact representation of me. For he is me. He's the radiance of God's glory. That's who he is. Verse 7. Speaking of the angels, he makes his angels spirits and the servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God. This is what he's saying of Jesus. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. So the, the, the writer of Hebrew continues on in this vein to finish off this chapter. And he'll continue on and he'll keep quoting all this messianic prophecies of, uh, right here in these passages. And, and he quotes a whole bunch of, of prophecies right here just in case he wasn't clear enough of who Jesus is. Just in case you missed it, that Jesus is the Messiah that the prophets were talking about. That Jesus is our King. That Jesus is our Lord and Savior. That Jesus is our High Priest. Just in case you missed it. He's going to reinforce it in the next verse. And then when we get right to the end in verse 14, he says, and just to make sure you're not confused about these other beings out there, he says, verse 14, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? So these other sons of God out there, these other spiritual beings, don't get them confused with the Son of God. Because these other beings, they are not God. They're not equal with God. They have a lesser role. In fact, they are here to serve all those who call Jesus Lord. The role of the angels are to serve you and I. That's their role. In fact, the Apostle Paul will say in Corinthians, don't you know that you will judge angels? Don't get confused with these other spiritual beings. There's only one Son of God. So what does it mean for us? 
It means that Jesus is not just a good man. Oh, you know, he's just a good man. He's got some good teachings. He's, he's really good, and I think we should respect him because he's a good man. He, he, he loved everybody. He, he didn't discriminate. He loved everyone. Jesus, he's, he's just a wise person. If we just live our life like that, it means that Jesus is not just a good man. It means that Jesus is not just a wise person. It means that Jesus is God in human form. That Jesus is the exact representation of his being. It means that you can put your trust in him. It means that you can put your faith in him. It means you can put your hope in him. Whom shall we turn to? But to the one who loves you, who is fully God and fully man. Fully man so he can represent us and fully God so he can deliver us. That's who he is. And that's the power of Jesus' name. The name that sets people free from addictions, from shame and regret. When we call upon the name of Jesus, we're not just calling a good man's name. We're not just calling a wise man's name, but we're calling God himself. The exact imprint, the exact representation, the radiance of glory. The Son of God. It also means that we don't have to live up to anyone's expectations anymore. You don't have to be in anyone's shadow. It's time for you to step out of the shadow and into the light of His Son. Your value is not based upon what you do or what you not do. You don't need to live a life of performance, a performance-based life anymore. Because we think we're not good enough. If I'm not good enough, then then no one's going to love me and no one's going to value me. Come on, the problem with this thinking is that we never think we're good enough. But here's the thing. You are already loved. You are already valued. So often we are human doings. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Do you ever feel like you're always doing, 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 doing? And Jesus will say to you, just be a human being. Just be. Just be. Because I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you. What would you do today if you knew that Jesus was with you? For you and in you. What would you do today if you knew that Jesus was with you, for you, and in you? I heard the story of this this farmer. He got tired of his old donkey. So he threw this old donkey in a hole that he had dug for his rubbish. Every day the farmer would throw rubbish on top of the donkey who was in this hole. And every day, the donkey would just shake it off and stamp it down. Day after day, the farmer would throw more rubbish into this hole, land on top of the donkey. The donkey just shook it off and stamped it down. Shook it off and stamped it down. I feel like I need to do a dance move right now. 
The more rubbish the farmer heaped on the donkey, the more the donkey shook it off and stamped it down. To eventually, the donkey stepped out of the hole. When you know that Jesus is with you, for you, and in you, it doesn't matter what, think, what people think about you. It doesn't matter what rubbish is said about you. Because what really matters is what God thinks about you. That is what really matters. You don't have to hold on to those things anymore. And in the words of Taylor Swift, shake it off. Shake it off. Because Jesus will take the difficult things that we think are going to break us and he will use them to make us. Come on. Jesus will take the difficult things that we think is going to break us and will use them to make us. What will you do today if you knew that Jesus was with you, for you, and in you? Come on, let us pray.